Amen. Good morning. I'm so glad to see you all here. I'm so glad that those of you who are watching online can join us remotely uh, through the live stream or perhaps watching later. Um, it's, it's been beautiful to see our church family the last couple of weeks uh, come together in a new way, but also continuing uh, to connect online as well as God leads us through uh, this very unusual season of this pandemic. And so I'm excited once again to worship with you and open God's Word. I want to start off with a story uh, from when I was in college. I was in my early 20s. I went over to a friend's house and I was just going to go over there and hang out. They lived on the second floor of an apartment building. And directly behind their apartment was uh, a field and then a nature preserve. It was like a forest, but then there was like this field in front of it. And I went over to my friend's house this day, and uh, he had another friend over who I didn't know very well. And uh, that guy, that other friend, brought some fireworks with him. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't remember it being the 4th of July or anything like that. But he had fireworks. Maybe they were leftovers. He was trying to go through them. One of them was a little helicopter. So it was a firework that I guess you put on the ground, you light it, and then it, you know, it spins around and it flies up in the air. And uh, I remember that one very specifically. And I walked out onto this balcony just in time to see that kid lighting it and throwing it into the very large, very dry field right behind this apartment complex right next to this nature preserve. And I remember thinking, that is not going to end well. I don't know what's going to happen, but generally that doesn't seem like this is a wise idea. And so he throws it out there, and I watch it land in the middle of this dry, tall grass. And nothing happens for a moment. I'm thinking, okay, maybe we're out of the woods here. Like, nothing's happening. But then a moment later, I hear this little whistling sound. And it's starting to wind up. But caught in the grass, it could not launch into the sky. So it went, and I see this three to four foot high flame just burst up out of the grass. And I ran to the other room. I was going to grab my phone and call 911. And by the time I got back, it was probably 20 seconds later, this fire was like 30 feet in diameter. I mean, it was unbelievable how quickly this happened. Now, mercifully, someone, some other neighbor, had seen this happen and had called even before I did. So the fire department said, well, get out there. I remember watching them spray their foam and just, you know, it never made it to the nature preserve. And okay, so my friend's friend, I got a very stern talking to from the fire department. I believe he had to pay a hefty fine too. This was my first and only up close experience of a fire being started and watching it spread. And I was astounded at how quickly it happened and how just complete the destruction was. I mean, it was just like a black crater, you know, where this had happened. And um, it's really just been a powerful image for me as I think back on that. Um, I noticed we have some kids in the room, and I imagine we have some kids at home watching too. Some of you have crayons and you're drawing pictures. Or maybe some of you grown-ups like to draw pictures. Go for it. Um, draw a picture of a fire. If you're following along, if you're drawing a picture, You've got your crayons out. Draw a fire, just a just a big uh, fire in a field or something like that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that in a moment and have you add to it uh, because that that fire is a is a very powerful biblical metaphor for what we're gonna talk about today. And I want to start there in actually the book of James just briefly. There's a book in the New Testament called James. 
It's written by Jesus' brother. And there's a part of James where he talks about the power of our words. And he uses the image of a forest fire uh, and a few other images as well to explain how destructive our words can be. And so I want to start there. Look at James 3, 3 to 5. James says this, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider when a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So James is teaching us um, that, that our words have much more power than we realize. Um, and he actually, in that short passage, gave us three metaphors to think about the power of our words. The first metaphor is that our life is like a huge ship, right? It's, 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 our life is this massive boat, and it's driven in part by our words, which is just the little rudder. It can be steered by, by our words. Um, or you can think of our life as like, you know, this hulking war horse, this powerful animal that is controlled by this little device in its mouth that can be turned by the person riding the horse. And, and that represents our, our, our mouth, our words. And so our words, James is telling us, can cause, uh, they have great influence on our life. They can cause great Destruction, And that's why he says, you know, the, the metaphor of a, a forest fire is a, a solid metaphor for what it's, our words are capable of doing. Just like a relentless forest fire is set alight by just a small spark, our words can cause a forest fire of relational damage um, if we misuse them. And I think we've all experienced that, um, how our words can cause destruction. It could have been a careless remark on social media um, that started a very divisive thread. Or a stray comment by, uh, that you made to a family member, and they have not forgotten it for years. Or maybe you're on the receiving end of that. Um, perhaps someone said something really hurtful to you many years ago and you still feel wounded by it, and it's as if they said it yesterday. Could have been 20 years ago. And you just have the most vivid recollection. Or maybe you made a joke to a friend that really hurt their feelings, and maybe you didn't mean to, but it did, and you really wish you could take it back. Our words carry enormous power. And, by the way, we lose control of them once they leave our mouths or we hit send. They are out there. And even if we meant them a certain way, they may be taken another way. If we say something hurtful or foolish, we can't take it back. It's out there. And in the book of Proverbs, you know, we're, we're starting this series. We're in the second week of this series on Proverbs. Throughout the book of Proverbs, um, it comes back to the subject of our words, of talking. And if I had to distill it down, the message of Proverbs when it comes to our words into the simplest form possible, it would be this. The more we talk, the more we sin. The more we talk, the more we sin. Proverbs 10, 19 is one example. 
of this idea. Look what it says in Proverbs 10, 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs is originally written in ancient Hebrew, and more literally translated from that language, it says, where words are multiplied, sin cannot be avoided. The more we talk, the more we sin. Controlling our tongue, as James says, holding our tongue, as Proverbs says, it's not just about not speaking as much or avoiding saying destructive things. As with many aspects of our spiritual lives, it's not simply a matter of not doing something. It's about replacing that thing with something else that will lead us to honor God, to encourage others, and foster our own spiritual growth. And as we think about how we use our words... One of the things we can do instead of talking is to listen. Proverbs talks a lot about this. It's to listen. So if you drew a picture of a fire um, here in the room or at home, I want you to draw water extinguishing it. Maybe a rain cloud or a wave overtaking that fire, or maybe it's you with a squirt gun putting it out or a fire truck or something. But Draw some water putting out that flame, because water represents listening. If the fire represents using our words in a way that creates relational damage and creates problems and creates sin, listening is one of the things we can do to extinguish that tendency. Listening. That's what we're going to focus on today, is listening. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. If we learn to listen better, speak less, the benefits are numerous. We are better positioned for healthy relationships, for the ability to discern God's direction in our life, and to cultivate humility in ourselves. So if you brought your Bible with you, turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. The book of Proverbs, if you're not familiar where it's located, it's in the Old Testament, right after the book of Psalms. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Uh, but the first reference that we're going to look at is in chapter 18, so Proverbs 18. We're going to discover what it means to listen well and why we should listen well and prioritize listening. Now, I looked at pretty much every verse in Proverbs, the whole book that has to do with talking and listening, and um, it seems to me in, in doing that study that there's kind of three big ideas that rise up to the surface. When you take it all together, um, Proverbs says a lot about talking and listening, but there are three ideas it seems to keep coming back to. So I want to share those three ideas with you today about the topic of listening. So I'm going to just start off and give you the first one. Number one, listening well is about a genuine desire to hear from someone else. It's about a genuine desire to hear from someone else. Listening well is about a genuine desire to hear from someone else. So Proverbs 18.2 puts it this way. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. So Proverbs, the book, is always contrasting um, the wise uh, you know, people who are living God-honoring life with the foolish, those who are living a life that does not honor the Lord and 
So wisdom and foolishness are always contrasted in the book of Proverbs. And what we see is that listening is not just your ears hearing a sound. It starts deeper than that. It starts at the heart level with a desire to learn from someone, to really understand them. And that's something you can't fake. You have to have a genuine desire for that, to actually hear from someone else. Because listen, to, to, it, it is so natural to listen poorly. This is true of me. This is true of all of us. It is effortless to listen poorly, to listen to someone not because you want to understand, but because you're looking for the next chance to speak. Or you're in battle mode, and you're just listening to find something you can use against that person when it comes time for your next rebuttal. This happens, of course, all the time on social media. Uh, I would say that's the default gear of communication on social media is listening for the purpose of thinking about when you can next say your point of view, air your own opinion. But it doesn't just happen there. Of course, it happens in relationships and friendships and um, marriages. I've certainly listened in that way before, which really isn't listening. If you're defining listening according to Scripture and what the book of Proverbs has to say, to really listen means you genuinely desire to hear from that person. You care about them. You're invested. You want to learn something about them or learn something from them. And you recognize that your understanding of that person or their perspective is probably partial or mistaken. That, that, that your view of that person or what they think is probably not exactly correct. And that it's a good thing to hear from them. I think we also have this tendency with God that we, uh, for example, in our prayer life, we think of our prayer life mainly as speaking to him, making requests, um, expressing ourselves to him, which we are invited to do all those things, and we should do all those things. They're not wrong, but we are also meant to read his word, to be silent, to build in time to listen for God's voice, reflect on his word. Because we want to understand the Lord, we want to understand his purposes for our life. So listening well doesn't start with your ears. It begins much earlier with your heart, with a genuine desire to understand somebody else. Look at the language of the proverb. It says, pleasure and delight. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. You can flip the proverb around to see what a wise person looks like. The wise find pleasure in understanding, and they delight in listening to others. That's a wise person. They find pleasure in understanding others, and they delight in hearing, listening to others, and hearing other opinions. So let me ask you, do you find pleasure in understanding other people? Do you delight in hearing what they have to say? Or is your main source of delight in hearing yourself air your opinions? Be honest. Which one excites you more? Our society as a whole, I would say, delights in expressing itself. That, that That's the main direction that people look for. Uh, not in learning, listening, understanding. Proverbs says that's foolishness. Proverbs says that's foolishness. But if we actually desire to understand, to learn, then we will listen well, and as a result, we'll speak less. 
But if we don't really desire to understand, we won't listen well. And we will just fill our lives with the sound of our own voices. So that's the first key idea that we see woven throughout Proverbs, is that listening really is about a genuine desire inside to hear from somebody else. Number two, here's the second key idea that we see throughout Proverbs, is this. Listening well clarifies God's path for your life. Listening well clarifies God's path for your life. This is such an important one. Obviously, very practical application. God uses other people to speak into your life. So many people want to know, you know, what's God's plan for my life? Where am I headed? And yet we, we seek out the answer to that question of what's God's plan for my life in a very solitary way, as if it's just a matter of, I'm, I'm going to get a private, personal message from God. It's nobody else's business. Well, that's not the church. That's not how God works. He speaks to us through other people. He uses his people to lift each other up, to remind each other of the truth, to speak life into each other's circumstances. And the Proverbs speak to this over and over and over. Here's one example. Proverbs 12 to 15 says this. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The wise listen to advice. Again, listening starts deeper within. If you think you're always right, and that your opinion is always the best opinion to have, or that you really have nothing to learn from other people, then of course you're not going to listen. If you think your opinion is always the correct one, or that the burden is always on other people to prove that you're wrong, Proverbs would say that's a foolish path. But if you have the humility to invite people to speak into your life, into your world, you will find encouragement and you will find clarity as you seek God's direction. That's the wise path. You know, I, I was very blessed that early on in my life, when I was especially a teenager and, and into college, I was surrounded with mentors that just hammered this idea into me that I needed to develop an appetite for advice. That was something I needed to discover as a young man. And, um, and I listened, and I tried as best I could to seek input into key decisions in my life from people who I trusted. And I will tell you, that has never backfired. It doesn't mean every choice has been easy or everything's just rosy in my life, but the process of inviting people to speak into my decisions in my life has never backfired. Um, when I think back on the major decisions in my life, um, when I think about decisions related to, for example, college, uh, proposing to my wife, the kinds of jobs that I might pursue, financial decisions, how to handle tricky relationship challenges, I can think back over those moments and I could give you a list of names in every one of those instances of people who gave me wise advice at those decision points. They were teachers, they were guidance counselors, coaches, my parents, my brother, professors, my friends, my pastors, my wife, other people who have been in that situation before and can give me the lay of the land. And I found that as I seek this advice, as I've done it through my life, in many of those cases, 
I was making very ignorant assumptions. Like if I had just gone on with my plan as I saw best, I would have fallen into some, some pits that I would not have enjoyed. And they really spared me those experiences with their wisdom. And in other cases where I had been thinking wisely or rightly, when I invited people to speak into that, it, it gave me such affirmation and confidence um, because God, I felt, was leading me in my prayer life and through reading scripture. And then when I invited other people to speak into it, I saw that they were saying similar things of what I had felt led to, to do. And that resonance between those, it just it made God's path clear to me. You know, God is clearly leading me here because in my prayer life, I'm sensing this. In scripture, I'm seeing this. And I've had, you know, five or six people who I trust weigh in on this, and they all seem to be saying the same thing. I think my path is going to be coming clear here. Proverbs 15, 22, another verse, puts it this way. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. The more advisors you can have, the better. And by the way, the kinds of advisors that you want to find are not always people who will tell you what you want to hear. You're not looking for five people to just parrot what you're saying. You want to find people who you trust, who are wise, who've been in your shoes, and who want what's best for you. People who love the Lord and who want what's best for you. And sometimes they will affirm what you're thinking. And praise God for that. That's very encouraging. Sometimes they will say, I think you haven't thought this through. And praise God when they're willing to say that to you. I can't tell you how many times I've been spared pain and frustration and heartache because of those kinds of comments. The more advisors you can have, the better. God's going to speak to you through what they say, as well as through Scripture, as well as through your own prayer life. And your plans, by the way, will have a much higher chance of aligning with God's will and therefore a much higher chance of going forward because you're seeking to really understand you know, what God's voice sounds like through scripture, through prayer, and you're, you're hearing God's word spoken through his, his people, through the church. But it all, again, goes back to the heart. You have to desire to listen to other people in order to benefit from this. You have to believe you actually have something to learn, that you may not be in the best position to make the best choice for your life. Now, that's a very strange idea in our culture, but you may not be in the best position to make the best choice for your life. It, God may need to use some people to show you the wise path. You have to believe it's possible and even good to change your mind. Listening well is about this genuine desire to hear from someone else. Listening well can clarify God's path for your life. I want to give you one more key point. It's one way that we can begin to do this. How do we begin to listen well? One starting point is this, number three. Listening well requires a deceleration in your thinking. I see this throughout Proverbs as well. You have to slow down your thinking a little bit when it comes to making some key decisions. Look at the way um, it's articulated in Proverbs 18.13. It says this, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. If you're going to listen well in any kind of relationship, if you're going to seek out advice from others, you have to deliberately slow down your thinking 
or you're always going to just give in to the impulse to just say what you think, do what you think is right. And by the way, it's totally natural to do that. It is not natural to deny yourself a moment to speak. A good way to slow yourself down is to ask clarifying questions as someone else is speaking. What do you mean by that? If someone's talking, you're trying to be a better listener. What do you mean by that when someone says something? Or, um, let me make sure I'm understanding. Or, back up a minute. When you just said that, what exactly did you mean by this? I'm not sure I caught that. Become a student of the person you're listening to. And in order to do that, you've got to slow down your thinking. Speaking before you understand, the proverb says, that's folly and shame. It's foolishness. It's disgraceful. The order is not respond, listen, understand. The order is listen, understand, respond. Or perhaps listen, understand, don't respond. You don't actually always have to respond to everything. You know, uh, one of my heroes, and he is for many people, um, in terms of leadership and just sort of the way he made decisions, is Abraham Lincoln. I've read a number of books about his life and how he made decisions, and um, he had this practice that I uh, adopted a number of years ago that, that I feel has helped me decelerate my thinking when I'm trying to listen. Abraham Lincoln, you know, he was famous for craving input from people of lots of different backgrounds. In fact, he was famous for the fact that he picked his own cabinet, a, a group of people who wildly disagreed and disagreed with him. And because he wanted to get as many uh, perspectives on issues as possible. And so he was kind of known for that way. He would walk the streets of D.C. And, and, and just talk to average soldiers. Hey, tell me, what's your experience like? What can we be doing better? You know, this is the president of the United States doing this. And so he was always seeking input and advice. And uh, one thing he, one practical thing Lincoln did was when someone said something about him that he disagreed with or he felt was unfair criticism or made him mad, he would sit down at his desk and he would write out exactly what he could say if he just let it fly. Like, just this passionate, you know, just, you know, refutation of what they said and, and, and you know, just what he would say back and criticize. He just let it all out. And then he would take that piece of paper and he would stick it in a drawer and do nothing with it. He would never send it. He would never give it to that person. But he understood that there were some feelings inside that were driving him to want to respond, and he needed to process those feelings, but that didn't necessarily mean that that person actually had to hear it. And so he never sent them. And it really helped him to slow down his thinking and not say things he would regret. And, uh, and I adopted that. I mean, sometimes if I'm about to respond to an email um, or a text message right after I've received it, and I'm unsure about my response, I'm unsure, like, do I really understand this person, or, I don't know, does that sound, am I being a little too blunt here? I don't know. I just won't send it. I'll just wait, and I'll think, okay, I'll, I'll wait till the next day. And if I still feel like I should send it, well, then maybe I will. Uh, because here's the thing, rarely do you have to respond to something right away. 
there are very few situations where you have to respond right away. And so sometimes I'll just leave it, you know, if it's an email in that drafts folder, and I'll come back the next day and read it, and I'll think to myself, I really don't think I understood them. My response was not going to be good. Or I'll think, boy, that my response was about to be super tone-deaf. Or ah, I was a little selfish, I think, in, in my thinking here, or my wording is a little blunt. That's not good. I've looked at many emails and texts the next day and thought, praise God I did not send that. And it's my way of adopting thinking difference. But it's all reflective of what the Proverbs say. Listening is never wrong. Speaking often is. So this is this trio of ideas that I think we see over and over in Proverbs. Listening well is about this genuine desire to hear from someone else. Listening well can help clarify God's direction in your life. And in order to listen well, you've got to slow down and decelerate your thinking. And if you do that, you're going to minimize the chances you set a forest fire with your words. You're on the wise path. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. A certain humility is going to begin to take root because you're not thinking and acting like your words are more important than anyone else's. So we looked at James earlier. Um, James is, in the New Testament, it's the book that's the most like Proverbs. And uh, I want to look at just two verses in James as we kind of wrap up here. Um, he sums all this up very nicely. There's a kind of famous couple of verses here in James 1, 19-20. James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen. Not willing to listen or I'm all right with listening, or I guess I'll humor this person. Quick to listen. The, the original language of James' letter is closer to eager to listen, an eager desire to listen. And follow James' logic. If you're quick to listen and slow to speak, you're going to be less prone to anger, which is going to take you off course from the kind of person that God wants you to be. It is wise to speak less and listen more. It's all over the Proverbs. It's all over the Bible. But as we talked about last week, and I'm going to finish with this, we cannot become wise, we cannot become patient, listening people in our own effort. We can't just make a list, here's the seven things patient people do, and the three things listening people do. I'm going to do those seven things and those three things, and here I am. I'm a great listener. It doesn't work that way. Wisdom grows out of a relationship with God. The Proverbs, James, they all presume you're in a relationship with God and that he's transforming you and you're, you're seeking that transformation. So as we give our life to Christ, he begins to form us into people who desire to listen, who desire to learn from him and from others. And if we do that, our prayer can become like the psalmist in Psalm 19. This is amazing prayer. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see how it connects the heart and our mouths? Because God, by the way, sees our hearts. He sees it all. In fact, Jesus said that. Jesus said what you say is just an overflow 
what's inside. If your heart has been changed by Jesus, is being changed by the Holy Spirit, by Christ the Redeemer, your words will be an express expression of that changed heart, that changing heart. And the words you don't say will be an expression of your changed and changing heart. You'll be a person who's eager to listen, ready to learn. You will say less, and in the process, honor your Redeemer and love others well. I want to leave you with a little homework assignment. Who do you need to listen to? Who do you need to listen to? You could be a hurting friend or family member, someone going through something tough. Maybe you've been thinking, I mean, gosh, if I call them, but I just don't know what to say. Well, don't say anything. Just call them and say, what do you care about? I don't want to say, but I'm going to sit on the phone with you. Anyway, I'm going to come to your house and sit on the couch and we can talk or not talk. That's hard to do. Who do you need to listen to in that way? Or uh, maybe there's someone whose advice you need to seek. Maybe you have a decision in front of you. Or you just feel sort of stuck in life and you're like, gosh, I. So wish God would make clear his path for me. I, you know, is there someone out there whose advice you need to seek? Who you need to listen to? Whoever it is you need to listen to, call them this week. Call them. Listen to their voice. And go see them. Have some human interaction. And listen. Listen well. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, God, for your word and the wisdom we find in Proverbs, and not just in Proverbs, but throughout Scripture, the wisdom related to our words. And we confess that so often we do set these forest fires, relationship forest fires in our life because we say too much or we say it too quickly. We don't listen well. We confess that we make decisions that are foolish because we've not sought out advice. And so we follow our own path. We don't, we don't really seek out your path. We confess that we think too quickly. We don't slow down to listen, to, to, to pray and, and listen for your voice, or sit quiet before your word. And so we confess that. The Holy Spirit, we want to be people who are slow to speak. We're eager listeners. We're seekers of advice. We admit that is not our inclination. Our, our default is to be quick to speak and to be slow to listen and to seek out advice only when we're desperate. Would you transform us from our foolishness into wisdom? And would it be true of us as a church family that we could pray together as the psalmist wrote, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In order for this to be true of us, God, for us to be listeners who honor you and love others, you have to do the work in us and through us. So, Spirit, would you change us? Would you change our hearts and mold us into your image? 
In Jesus' name I pray.